Good morning. It's been a delight to be with you these last weeks. Hope you're looking forward to having Dr. Roger Lambert with you for the month of July. He's perhaps my favorite Bible teacher, and I know you're going to be blessed uh, by his preaching. Uh, this month, we've been looking at the outworking of Paul's exclamation of praise in Ephesians 3 that he is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or even imagine. And we, we sort of looked at the way that that works out in his paranetic or ethical teaching within the body of Christ generally, within the family, both children and parents, and between husbands and wives. And today, as we finish up our studies in Ephesians, we want to look at how it applies in the workplace. I'm going to begin reading from Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 9. You can find that on page 679 of your pew Bible. Listen carefully. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering servants service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them. and Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Pray with me. Father God, we pray that in these moments, your spirit would work by and with your word in our hearts to transform the way we approach our work this week, that we would offer every good endeavor to you as an act of worship and praise through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. The clock was ticking, so the wife went into the bedroom and she said, Honey, get out of bed. You're going to be late for church. The husband replied from under the covers, I'm not going back there. She said, That's ridiculous. What's the problem? Those people don't like me. They say mean things about me. I'm never going back. She said, Honey, you have to go back. And he said, Give me one good reason. You're the pastor. Okay, so maybe that's apocryphal, but I imagine there have been pastors who have felt that way on Sunday morning. Uh, we have a complex relationship with our jobs. Let's be honest. In this room, there are some who love their jobs. You are counting the minutes until the clock goes off tomorrow morning and you can go back to work. Uh, you are blessed. Uh, there are those who are dreading the alarm clock tomorrow. Uh, because maybe your job is not what you had imagined you would be doing. 
Uh, maybe the people you're working with are not the coworkers that you would prefer. Maybe your boss is a real problem in your life. And you're wondering how you're going to get through tomorrow, much less through Friday. Others of you have lost their jobs recently. And you're wondering whether God's going to come through with a way that you can use your gifts and support your family. Uh, still others are working multiple jobs, underemployed, not using their full abilities and gifts, and probably underpaid, and struggling to make ends meet. And I dare say there are more than a few, uh, particularly moms in the congregation, working 70 to 80 hour weeks for no pay, and not much recognition. All of us struggle with work. And the Apostle Paul wants to change our understanding. Uh, he wants us to realize one very simple truth. And here it is. If you don't hear anything else, get this. You and I are bond servants of Christ. We belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. If that's true, then we have to honor him in our work. It's as simple as that. And the Apostle Paul is going to show us how to change the way we think about what we'll do come 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. He breaks the passage down into two sections. A word to Christian employees. Let me just pause there for a second. Um, if you have a more recent edition of the ESV, it says bond servants. That's a really good translation of the Greek word doulos, which is not a slave as you and I normally think of one. Uh, bond servants in the ancient world uh, did not only unskilled labor, they did semi-skilled and skilled labor. They could actually acquire property, and at times they could become the heir of their master. They might be adopted as his error. Paul is not talking about the institution of slavery in this passage. Uh, he's not justifying it. He's talking about the relationship of employers and employees. He will, in his letter to Philemon, uh, plant the seeds for the abolition of slavery. He'll reflect the Deuteronomic code. You are brothers in Christ. Don't treat Onesimus as your bondservant. Treat him as your brother. But that's not his focus here. He wants to speak to the attitudes and actions of employees and of Christian employers. So first of all, Christian employees, verses 5 to 8. I told you that Paul is going to stand our understanding of work on its head, upside down. It's going to be this simple phrase, as unto Christ. That's all it takes. Uh, Paul, by bringing that to our attention, saying that we're to do our work as unto Christ, is trying to, um, if you will, intertextually take us back to the beginning. Uh, we work because God works. We are created in his image. Work is a gift. It's, in one sense, what you and I were born to do. In Ephesians 2, Paul says we are his poema, his workmanship created to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. You and I, if you will, were born to work. Uh, we were called in the garden to be God's vicegerents. 
uh, to not only multiply redeemed images of God, something that this congregation is really good at, seeing all the babies, uh, but also uh, to, uh, to rule over and subdue the earth, uh, to care for creation, to keep and to guard God's temple garden, Genesis 2.15. Uh, it's our privilege to administer his temple garden in his stead until the king comes back and makes everything new. Of course, it has been affected by the fall. Uh, the fall has affected every aspect of life. Uh, not only the attitudes of our hearts, but the actions of our hands, our relationship with God's creation, uh, so that rather than causing um, creation to be facilitated to praise the king, uh, we often are working against the praise of creation. The Lord says in Genesis 3.19, as a result of the ground being impacted by the fall, the ground being cursed, by the sweat of your brow, you will earn your bread. Our relationship with work becomes adversarial. Uh, work is hard. Uh, sometimes that's due to drudgery. Every job has elements of routine. At the college, um, I think my brothers would uh, echo this, uh, we say that we teach for free, but they pay us to grade, right? Amen. Have to grade, right? It has to be done. I don't like doing it, but I do it because it's part of the job. We have this struggle with our work. Sometimes it's hard, not all that exciting, not all that fulfilling. Get on with it, right? Uh, but here's the other problem. It's, it's the passage uh, that uh, Scott Finch's daughter read at the very beginning of the service. Uh, we are engaged in spiritual warfare. Our adversary prowls like a roaring lion uh, in the bush looking for someone to devour. And one of the places he will attack is in our attitude towards work. He'll go at it from one of two ways. Either he will cause us to become grumpy and embittered and faithless servants who, if you will, are ungrateful to the king and express our lack of confidence in him. Or he'll cause us to become workaholics. And I'm a recovering workaholic, right? I get this. Where we seek to find our identity in our 70-hour weeks and in accumulating um, aspects of certificates of distinction and degrees and accolades and accomplishments. We find our significance there rather than in being daughters and sons of grace. It's a dead end. It will not work. Idols, Chris Wright says, can only do one thing, and that's disappoint you. They'll break your heart. So praise God that he has redeemed us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, united to Christ by faith, born again of the Spirit, united to his body, we are a new creation. Actually, the, um, the source text just says, if anyone's in Christ, boom, new creation. You're part of a new eschatological reality. Uh, your work now becomes different because it is done in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Every time you and I go to work, whatever that work is, digging ditches, writing symphonies, teaching students, taking care of patients or small children, the Holy Spirit goes to work with us. Amen? Amen. You're a Baptist, it would be more resounding. 
But you get the idea. Our work is redeemed. We were created to do good works in Christ. That was prepared for in advance. And so now we go to work with a different attitude. Uh, we understand at the end of the day uh, that God is giving us in the pattern for work that he puts in creation, six days of labor, one day of rest, power for work. And if you work 24-7, you will burn out. And if you have a bad relationship with your job right now, it may be because you don't know how to rest in the Lord. You and I need to learn to take the Sabbath day for worship, for fellowship, for a good Presbyterian nap, maybe, uh, or a walk, um, a, sabbat a sabbatical from our technology, from the pressures of the week, so that we can be restored to engage in the work God has called us at this time in this place to do, right? And we go to that work knowing that unless he blesses it, we're toast. Um, Heidelberg Catechism says, uh, in response to the question, what does it mean to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Neither our work nor worry nor the gifts God gives us mean anything unless the Lord blesses. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, you're just spinning your wheels. Well, I'm paraphrasing, right? But you get the idea. We go to work in the power of God, praying for his blessing, because we have his promise that he will make it count. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, brothers, sisters, stand firm, right? Knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. Beloved, that's not just talking about VBS. It's not just talking about teaching Sunday school. That applies to everything. We are not Forgive me for putting it this way. We're not two kingdoms people. We're not Lutherans. We love Lutherans, but we're not Lutherans. In the Reformed tradition, we are Colossians 1.18 people. In Christ, all things preeminent. It's not that what we do on the Lord's day is sacred and what we do during the week is under natural law. All of it is under the Lordship of Christ. And our work matters to him. And so with Moses, the man of God, in Psalm 90, we pray. Lord, establish the work of our hands. And then it becomes an act of worship. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Um, he said, the work of a Beethoven, I don't know, Scott Finch may think ill of this, the work of a Beethoven and the work of a charwoman becomes spiritual on precisely the same condition. That of being offered to God, of being done humbly as to the Lord. And I have something for Dr. Tate as well. George Herbert, a man may look at his work as he looks at a pane of glass, seeing nothing but the glass, or by looking through it to the heavens beyond, for thy sake, who sweeps a room as for thy laws, makes that and the action, fine. That phrase, as unto Christ, transforms even drudgery. It makes all of our work spiritual. Every bit as much as our worship on the Lord's Day. Do you see that? Do you see how that could transform things tomorrow morning when you go to work? And Paul says, let me get really specific about what that looks like. Let's talk about actions. 
when you go to work tomorrow morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to show respect to your superior, your manager, your supervisor, your boss, however you refer to her or him, show respect to them, not because they've earned it, not because they deserve it, but because they are in an office that I've appointed them to for your good. You show respect to them. And you show that you know the fear of the Lord to me, the Lord says. Um, do your work quorum Deo. Uh, it was really interesting. My wife was at the gym over at um, the uh, Heart Institute at Memorial, and I was sitting reading theology, which is what I do, kind of my default mode. And there was a young woman uh, who had the job of cleaning the restrooms, but I noticed that over the period of an hour, she would spend 20 minutes on her phone and 10 minutes in the bathrooms, right? Uh, she, she was more tuned in to what her friends had to say than she was to the work she was being paid to do. And before you look askance at that, maybe some of us do similar things as well. We need to show respect when we go to work and fear of the Lord. We work before him. One day, you and I are going to give an account. I'll tell you, when I stand in front of a group of students to open the word of God, I remember that one day I will give an accounting for what I have said to them and how I have uh, tried to teach them the ways of the Lord before the Lord. You and I are accountable to him. But that's not all that the apostle wants us to do. Uh, he also wants us to do it with sincerity. Uh, put it this way, he wants us to work with integrity. Whether the job is big or small, whether anyone notices or not, do it, well, Paul goes on and says, wholeheartedly. You want to know what that looks like? Watch Dr. Scott Finch for five minutes. I was watching him as he was playing before the throne of God above, and I was thinking to myself, Scott is always wholly present in the moment, doing all that he can to honor his king. And that's true whether he's leading worship, uh, whether he's conducting uh, combined choirs and orchestra at the Christmas concert, uh, whether he's composing or teaching, or as the other day, I saw him uh, taking his precious summer months to mentor young people into creation care by teaching them what it looks like to work well at keeping the college grounds in order. Scott is always wholly present. That's what it means to be working wholeheartedly for the Lord. But Paul says, let me talk about attitudes as well. Let's talk about attitudes as well. Um, you need to be faithful. Faithfulness uh, is what you do when nobody's watching, right? Paul says, don't be people pleasers, not eye servants in the old King James. Uh, you're not trying to impress anybody. You're trying to honor Christ. You're doing this as unto him. So do it well. Dorothy Sayers said the first thing God requires of a carpenter is that he make good tables. First thing God requires of you and I is that we do our work faithfully. Doesn't matter what you think about your work. B.B. Warfield, talking to seminary students, said this. Certainly every man who aspires to be a religious man must begin by doing his duty. 
his obvious duty, his daily task, the particular work that lies before him to do at this particular time and place. Paul calls it the will of God for you, whereby his providence and the opportunities he's opened up, the work he's given us to do, is his calling on our lives that day. And Warfield says, you cannot build up a religious life except you begin by performing faithfully your simple daily task. What you think of those tasks, Warfield says, is up to you. But be faithful. But be prayerful as well. Uh, how would it change this week if tomorrow morning when you woke up, crack of dawn, the alarm goes off, uh, before you get to the coffee pot, you say, dear Lord, help me to walk in your ways and to be a blessing to my coworkers, to my supervisors, to the people you call me to serve, whether you call them clients or patients or customers or your children, whoever it is, right? Help me to be a blessing. Do you think God would honor that prayer? Do you think he would answer that prayer? Because you're going to work with the Holy Spirit. You commit that work to the Holy Spirit as an act of worship. The Holy Spirit will fill you and empower you to do what you cannot do in your own strength. And that includes dealing with difficult people. Do you have a difficult boss? Some of you do. Do you have difficult co-workers? Some of you do. How do you deal with that? Beloved, you pray for them. Uh, my brother-in-law, Hollis, worked for Boeing Aircraft for 35 years. Uh, during that time, um, he received every public acknowledgement and award that the company could bestow. He finished his career on a glorious note. But it was not always so. There were a couple of times where he had supervisors who were determined to get him to leave the company. Uh, they would do this by setting impossible deadlines, cutting his team, having his budget, making it practically impossible to do his work. And Hollis responded by committing it to the Lord, putting his head down, doing his work as unto Christ, and trusting God to deal with it. And in each case, those guys were moved up and out, or just out of Boeing. Now, I'm not promising God will always remove the problem people in your lives. I'm saying that you and I respond to difficult people on the job by prayer and with gratitude. We're to be faithful, we're to be prayerful, we are to be grateful. Beloved, this is God's source of provision for you. I tell students, look, as a lawyer, I used to pray that cases would settle and clients would pay their fees. As a missionary, I prayed that God would supply the needs of our family and our team so that we could do our work first in East Africa and then in South Africa. For a decade, look to him in faith. Um, as a pastor, I prayed that he would supply the budget for our church to continue its local ministry. As a professor, I now pray that God would supply the needs of the college so that we can continue to train up the next generation. Look, your job is never your supply. It's just the means. It's what Martin Luther calls the mask of God. Luther says, what else is all our work to God, whether in the fields, in the gardens, in the city, in the house, in war, in government, but just such a child's performance by which he wants to give us his gifts in the fields. 
at home and everywhere else. These are the mask of God behind which he wishes to remain concealed and do all things. The Lord is our supply. Our jobs are his provision for this moment. So what to do? Well, earlier generations of Christian workers coined a phrase that we don't use much in the PCA, but maybe we should. Ora et labora. Prayer and work, or better, pray and work, right? Uh, as you go to work, you go to prayer. Well, one of my first jobs uh, as a young adult was uh, working for Saga Food Service at Wheaton College. Uh, my assigned task was not very glorious. I was to clean pots and pans. Uh, this is the day before nonstick uh, fabrics, and so uh, when I would get these pots and pans, they would have crud burned into the metal itself, almost fused as if welded. And I would scrub with steel wool, and sometimes I would take a chisel, and I would grumble, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm a philosophy major. I deserve better than this. My roommate heard me grumbling, and he said, here, read this. And he had in me a little book by Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence of Christ. Uh, Brother Lawrence also worked in the kitchen, had his fair share of cleaning pots and pans, but he also used it as an opportunity for prayer and worship. And he would pray as he worked. And he became a figure in that 17th century context in which he worked so that people came from miles around to seek his advice and his godly counsel because he was someone who knew Jesus, not in spite of his work, but using his work as a means to continue his fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You and I need to pray and work. John Coltrane put it beautifully. 1965, the liner notes to his album, A Love Supreme. He wrote, this album is a humble offering, an attempt to say thank you, God, through our work, even as we do in our hearts and with our tongues. May he help and strengthen us in every good endeavor. Beloved, what if you and I prayed that prayer tomorrow morning before we go to work? Lord, my work today is an attempt to say thank you, God, through my work, even as I do in my heart and with my tongues, would you strengthen me in every good endeavor this day? Amen. It would transform our hearts, our actions, our attitudes. We would be working as unto Christ. Beloved, that's who we serve. It's not your company, it's not your boss, it's not your shareholders. At the end of the day, you serve Jesus. Well, then a word to Christian employers, a shorter word, one verse, but you'll see why in just a sec. Paul says, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. There is a reciprocity, a mutuality of serving one another. If you are in a position of authority, you're a manager, a supervisor, uh, a business owner, an officer in the military, or in law enforcement, whatever the context is, if you are in charge of others, this word from the Lord is for you. 
you are to do the same to your employees as Christ has done for you. So all the things we just said about Christian employees applies to Christian employers. Being faithful, prayerful, right? Grateful. Uh, doing their work with integrity and sincerity. Doing it wholeheartedly. Doing it as unto Christ. And Paul says, but because of your relationship, your position, there are some specific additional things for you to think about. And the application he makes is stop threatening your employees. Colossians 4, he'll say, treat them fairly and justly. In that relationship between bondservant and master, or even today between employer and employee, there's a power differential. There is the potential for abuse. And Paul says, listen up. They are image bearers too. And they serve the King Jesus. And their work matters to him. So you treat them with the respect that image bearers deserve. It doesn't mean that you don't direct them. It doesn't mean that you don't hold them accountable for the results of their efforts. But you do it in a way that speaks to their dignity and value to the Lord. There is no room for employers to be demeaning their employees uh, to speaking about them in dismissive ways, uh, treating them like plug-and-play employees. That is anathema to the Apostle Paul. Stop abusive behavior. You have a responsibility to care for them. It's a John 13 moment, right? A John 13 attitude. Jesus, knowing that the time had come, the word kairos, opportunity time, um, before he goes to the cross the next day, right? Jesus shows them the full extent of his love in the upper room. He takes off his robe, his office as rabbi, and he wraps a towel around his waist as a bondservant, and he washes the feet of his disciple. That kind of servant leadership is what employers are called to show. Uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism, I think it's question and answer 129, uh, talks about the responsibility of superiors, those in authority, over subordinates. You would be astounded at what the Westminster divines said. There's a duty to pray for your employees, those who are under your charge. I pray for my students. I know doctors that pray for their patients. My daughter prays for her clients. We have a responsibility to pray for those over whom we have some type of authority, for God's blessing and work in their lives, for them to use their gifts. Uh, there's a responsibility, the Westminster Divines said, uh, to encourage them in their work. Uh, we would now say to mentor them, show them how it's done, uh, encourage them when they are making good efforts, correct them constructively when they are engaging in substandard work or work that needs to be done differently. That may even include, at some point, having to terminate their employment. But you do it in a way that recognizes their image-bearer quality. I, I have been in meetings and watched um, someone I'm going to talk about in just a second terminate an employee in a way that the employee walked away grateful. Um, 
My friend said to them, first of all, look, I'm grateful for your gifts. And he listed out those gifts that he had seen in action on the job. And he said, you, you have amazing abilities and God has gifted you in these ways. Uh, but this particular position you have isn't a good fit for those gifts. So we are going to make a change, but we'll see if there's a position in the organization that would be better suited, or we'll try and help you find one in another organization. Uh, sometimes you have to exercise correction, but you do it in a way that affirms the personhood of the employee. You mentor them, you encourage them, you correct them, but you treat them as those who belong to Christ because Paul says you have the same master as they do. At the end of the day, that's what it looks like. One of my favorite servant leaders, somebody I got to work alongside for several years, uh, was the man that they had hired to be the um, business administrator or business pastor of our church up in St. Louis. I had just come back from South Africa, was called as pastor of missions. Uh, he had just come and had been called to be this um, administrator. And I was given a big office with a cherry wood desk and a comfy chair and lots of bookshelves for all my books. Um, he had no office because to have one, he would have had to boot somebody out of theirs and he wasn't gonna do that. So Duncan went into the workroom and sat down at one of the break tables and set up his laptop. And for the next three months until an office opened up, that's where he worked. And every time an employee came in, he would have a chat. Tell me your story. Tell me about your family. Tell me about the things you love to do. What are you, what are you good at? Tell me, he would say, how can I help you be more effective in your work here at the church? And then he would always end, how can I pray for you? He did that with every single employee. Now look, running a pastoral staff at a large church is like herding cats. Okay, they're going all directions. But over time, Duncan forged us into a team of men and women on the ministry staff that were working together for the glory of God and the good of the congregation. All doing different tasks, whether running the nursery, running the missions program, whatever it was, he brought us together. We knew he loved us. We knew he would take a bullet for us. And I would have done anything for him. You see, we're called to be different, not in our own strength, that's impossible, but in the power of the Spirit, that we would, whether we're employees or employers, do our work as unto Christ in the confidence that he will bless every good endeavor. Let's pray and ask him to do that right now. Father God, have mercy on us. So often we are ungrateful for your gifts we're rebellious at your providence. And we fail to see that perhaps you've put us in a challenging place because that is the strategic place in our generation for us to be ambassadors for Christ. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be prayerful. Help us to be grateful. Strengthen the work of our hands, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.